this is the one with everyone seemingly quarantining in London. A night at the museum. A standard defenceless little girl. The brand new forest. And a tiger king. It's called In the Forest of the Night. The, the night. night. <laughs> Here we, Here we go. Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistle being an angel's hour. Dalek Cyber Zood and wow! Counting Sonic's rating out. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whitaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join, Join us on this hour to see what other choice could there be but who back when? Who back when? everybody out there in podcast land welcome to another exciting episode of who about when a doctor who podcast or dog past yeah this episode we introduce n114 in the forest of the night in the forest of the night (laughs) (laughs) i had great fun with this one with me today uh, i have two co-hosts who are coming at your earballs via skype on Top of my Skype video is that one there. Don't know who you're pointing at. It's you. Oh, Oh, hi, it's me. It's Leon. (laughs) Hi there. And directly below him is... The Knight. Drew back when? (laughs) Hi, Drew. Hi, Leon. Hello. Hi, Who are you? I forgot to introduce myself. I am, of course, Marie. Ah, the one and only. The one and only. What a fantastic episode, everybody. Everybody it loved really? it, I'm assuming. Was it? Full Did of we? Glorious really? child actors. Oh. <laughs> oh, wow. And entirely natural reactions. <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> Do you know what? Give them Oscars, all of them. They were fantastic. One uh, of them has a BAFTA. What? Wait, what? No. <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get oh, to that. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, this is the worst. Not for this episode, though, right? No. Okay. <laughs> no. God, no. Uh, shall we jump into a B-scout and let people know what's happening? Oh, let's do that so that we can then yeah. tear this apart. Time for us to synopsize, lovify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free-for-all we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. The world has been plunged into an existential crisis overnight. An invisible transmission has raced across the planet, and it looks like life may never return to normal. The government's emergency Cobra Group meets and decides the best course of action is for everyone to stay in their homes while they burn everything to the ground. As the politician's schemes prove useless, Doc, Clara, Danny Pink and Cole Hill Year 8, gifted and talented, take one last stand before Little Red Riding Hood is eaten by big bad wolves. Be you are welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, keeping it, just keeping it. (laughs) I'm not going to get better than that. (laughs) Right. Should we say that once again we are recording under quarantine yeah we should say that we're past the peak allegedly past the first, first peak. peak of the covid19 pandemic in the uk we are still in our respective homes recording over skype but you marie are in an almost empty house at the moment yes we were mid move and so all of our belongings are now in berlin but we are not so If I sound more echoey today than usual, (laughs) it's because I'm in an entirely empty house, sat on my patio furniture. (laughs) So sorry. 
So it's actually fine. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. I retract my sorry. Save it for another day. <laughs> I'm going to start with some facts. Oh, perfect. The Rhythm of the Night was a number two hit in <laughs> September 1994 for the Italian Eurodance group called Can Anyone Remember? No. <laughs> Corona. Oh, oh no way. Yeah. <laughs> It was number one in Italy for eight consecutive weeks. Wow. Oh, that is, that's unfortunate. Yeah. (laughs) So well done, Corona. And for weirdly presaging 26 years later. Yeah. (laughs) In the Forest of the Night, on the other hand, was written by Frank Cottrell Boyce. Indeed. Directed by Sherry Folkson, who only directed this one episode. That's right. And it was first broadcast on 25th of October, 2014. Bingo bongo. Frank Cottrell Boyce wrote one other episode as well. Well, since then, he has written one more, namely Smile. Mm-hmm. Uh, but aside from that, he is, I was surprised to find, an acclaimed children's novelist. Oh. He is an award-winning novelist. This episode is full of award winners. That flummoxes me. <laughs> this, this, this man apparently can write. So what happened? This is what I was saying about Peter Harkness and Kill the Moon. This is like a green version of Kill the Moon for me. Oh, no, this is worse. This is so much worse. Uh, Wait, can no, we just all around. agree that this is a, a massive dumpster fire, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is a massive dumpster fire. <laughs> I, I don't disagree. Know. I say, oh, Drew, this is Drew the best. I'm so happy that you disagree. He has every intention of talking you up somehow. Very good. Okay, so you love this episode. You think it's a good episode. You think it's well written. It's well acted. Is it well structured? It's interesting you mention well structured because Uh I was going down Frank Cottrell Boyce's Wikipedia page because that's the level of research I was prepared to commit. I'm very impressed. And it says that he is, I don't know if he was a frequent critic of, or he just diverged from, the standard three-act structure of stories. And he likes to do things in a slightly different way. So that this didn't adhere to the exact beat-by-beat-by-beat progression that you were perhaps expecting is entirely of his own design. You know what? I fully respect some authors wanting to do that. But are you trying to tell me then that it was deliberate, that he set up lots of things and then just did not follow through, or that he wrote things that did not make any sense? Was that a deliberate choice? You're going to need to provide me with specifics, Leon. Okay. All right. (laughs) Over the next hour and a half. Sounds good. (laughs) Sounds good. That being said, his next one, Smile, I haven't rewatched it since then, but as I recall, that's a good episode. Mm. Like a very tense episode, is it not? Or maybe I'm mistaken. I mean, when there are nanobots around, you're always tense. I'll give him that. Okay. Let me just ask a question. Where is everyone? In this episode, you Yeah. Mean? Why are there, like, maybe ten people living in all of London and eight of them are kids from Coal Hill? Where is everyone? Because nobody sleeps in that central of London. There aren't, like... Are there apartments around there? I don't know. But if you woke up and you open your door on your way to work and you're met with a forest, maybe you don't go into work that day. Oh, so literally everyone went, oh, there's, there are plants <laughs> out there. I'm going to stay indoors, except for Maeve's mum, who assumed <laughs> yeah. that her daughter would be safe with the, stu- with the teachers. So everyone else where, was staying indoors. I don't know where Maeve's mum was going. Did... That is the one thing that I will admit made no sense to That's me in this the, the episode. Maeve, thing. 
Okay, that made the oh. least sense oh my of all goodness. the things, shall we say. Ma- Maeve's mum, her quest is entirely pointless, entirely without structure. Her character has pretty much zero reason to exist. Oh, I, I'm speechless. I'm, I'm so... Wait... Where Maria's is everyone? just explained to you that what? everyone is staying at home. Can can you not conceive of that even now, Leon? Okay, all right, fine, fine. <laughs> Never been more relevant. But you know that what? Is true, we're, in, yeah. we're in a situation where everybody is staying at home, and I guarantee you that that part of London is not as deserted as it is in this episode. Even well, now, during a national is lockdown. Easier now. <laughs> well, even now, during the lockdown, people are still going out for their daily exercise. Yeah. Yeah. What about people? There would be Instagrammers everywhere. Wait, wait. Yeah, what about all the Tarzan imitators? No, what about the, the trees pe- on vines? What about the people on their night shift? What about cab drivers and night buses? Yeah. People cleaning the streets. Like, w- wouldn't there be... Like, you could even just have someone in the back of a taxi going, like, let me out. I was on my way from like back home from the club and then this all happened. There'd be someone trying to sweep up a forest. There's no time for that. If you see a forest encroaching towards you at about 10 feet a second, you just get the fuck home. You just this- get out of there. But this was incre- my issue. This was my most biggest annoyance is that it would be encroaching at 10 feet a second and you never see it move. Like the yeah. doctor says, it's still growing and they do, you see evidence of like the TARDIS is now covered in vines and it wasn't before. But yeah, and you not- hear Nelson's column rumbling a bit. Yeah. And if it's growing that slowly, then it would take forever to cover the earth. Yeah. yeah it should be, you should see it heart. zooming like trees just emerging out of nowhere and and vines coming to attack you and grabbing onto you. You could lose a child to some ivy. That is good. Do you know what? This episode, I think, was a really cheap one. Oh, yeah. Incredibly cheap. They had some prop street furniture in BBC World. I mean, this could easily have been shot in Cardiff or Gloucester or anywhere. It was shot in Cardiff. Ah-ha-ha! Well, there um, you go. My other beef was right in the beginning, Doctor refuses to believe that they're in London. I was like, could you not have just landed in like Richmond Park or something? I'm sure there are places in London that are foresty. Also true. Yeah. There's so much green space in London. Yeah, and some of it is a bit overgrown. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. All right. Hang on. <laughs> you still seem like you're building up to... So here are... Wait, you are. Here's just one more mental bullet point about something that is set up, is is kind of revealed, but then is not really followed through. So are we not the intelligent life form on this planet, or like the most intelligent life form on this planet? No, is the Silurians are. This is not our planet. No, it's the Zygons. But this planet belongs to a bunch of like... <laughs> yeah, the silence. Light <laughs> bugs. Oh, the light particles as well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And How then... are you so unfazed by this? <laughs> the only thing about it, they're going to be here long after we're gone. They were here long before we arrived. Okay. <laughs> but then how they, when after the big solar flare and they all just disappear into the like atmosphere, where are they going? And do all the trees just vanish, like poof? Yeah, also among my notes, they're not actual trees. No. They're like energy particles that look like trees. But... What so about the other trees? Oxygen? Are the trees that are still there, are they actual trees or are they light particles that just go, you know what, I kind of fancy being a tree. I'm going to be a tree for a little while. You know Why what, I put down a... roots here. How long was that girl stuck in a bush? Oh! <laughs> oh don't, don't get me started on the girl. That was, oh, that's the worst bit. <laughs> oh. Annabelle. Where the fuck? 
fuck did she come from? I don't understand this anything is, about that storyline. That's the only thing, really, that I remembered about this episode. I can't remember which episode we talked about this in, but in the review that I did back with Flapjack, we had a conversation about this episode and about the girl in the bush being, like, just the dumbest thing. And that was the only thing I remembered about this episode. <laughs> that and Mr. Pink was in it. Yeah, so in the beginning, I go like, hmm, pretty sure the sister, when they mention, oh, the sister's gone, it's like, oh, pretty sure the sister's stuck in a bush. Like, I'm I'm certain that sister is the one in the bush. And then when it shows up, I was like, yeah, there's the freaking girl in the bushes. You know what <laughs> it was? She's been gone for like a year. Two years. She's <laughs> been in a bush for two years. Where did she go? <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you what happened. She was sleeping rough after a particularly heavy night. And she happens to have this weird fugue dream state. Because as we know, this family has sort of mental powers or attuned into mental frequencies that other humans cannot perceive. And she saw the flashy energy particles going about their business and they thought they had to keep her quiet. So they trapped her in a bush, kept her alive, kept her in a stasis state. And once their conspiracy had been revealed for the whole human race to see, they were like, ah, fuck it, we can let her go. No, okay, I am not on board with that. because that, that... <laughs> Of course you're not, because it's bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> she must be, I mean, if she has been in that bush for two years, then she has now turned super feral. I mean, she's just been yeah. in a bush. Stasis. No, not okay. I, I no, want to see no the post credit sequence where she rolls up her sleeves and just reveals that she's covered in heroin track marks. What the actual shit in a picnic basket is going on in this episode? There was absolutely no reason to set up this sister. The only reason the sister's there is so that they can explain that the the other girl, whatever her name is... Maeve. Maeve, thank you. That Maeve is traumatised. She's suffering from PTSD because she lost her sister. But... They didn't need that because they don't even go into any detail. Just go, she has some issues. People think that she's weird, so they medicate her. And then that's it. That's enough. Like, yeah. oh, how, I'm so how angry. How an episode in terms of ratings would that very simple, simplifying retro rewrite have made? Uh, point eight. Point eight. Point eight. That yeah. seems about fair. Yeah. I was definitely taking off points for that. And I, all the way through, I kept taking off points for things and then realized if I do a whole point every time, I'm very quickly a minus number. <laughs> yeah, this is how I got to the minus 17. So... <laughs> <laughs> I think that's at least, worth at least two points. I genuinely think that's the worst ending of a Doctor Who episode I've ever seen. It's so bad. I'm so yeah. sorry, everyone who loves this. And you know what? I'm so sorry, BBC and Doctor Who, because I love the BBC and I love Doctor Who, but this is an actual dumpster fire. Like, I really struggle to think how that... Like, sometimes you think, oh, you know, things got cut out. It had to be shortened down for, to fit in the time frame. So um, that's why, you know, you kind of put a pass over things. But I just don't understand how they could have ever made that work within the storyline that they told. No. There's just absolutely nothing. Yeah, and there's a lot of Maeve running around waving at thin air yeah. that they could have cut out if they needed to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there was nothing better on the in the script draft that yeah. didn't make it to the screen. So she's running through the forest, leaving this trail of breadcrumbs, quote unquote. Mm. But <laughs> why? So that she can be followed, or that she can find her way back? Where is she going? Why is she like? What is she doing? That really annoyed me because none of it's directional. She's just running hither and thither, yeah. and the path is closing up behind her. If you come across a sandwich box. How do you know? Do you turn left? Do you turn right? What does this mean? It's not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just look out for the next brightly coloured thing. 
don't they're think all they were neon. That they're all pink. Close together. But they may have been overgrown at this point. Exactly. Yeah. Like I said, the trees have already done all the hard work. Now they're just putting the finishing touches to their oxygen airbag master plan. It seemed like they were setting up a few, I mean, in the script, a few fairy tales were being set up. So there's yeah. the Little Red Riding Hood. She's being chased by wolves, blah, blah, blah. But and then, she is wearing a red coat. Yeah, absolutely. But then there's also a comment from by, by the doctor about Hansel and Gretel because she's leaving this trail. But there's no one trying to catch her. Like, I mean, this is an episode without a bad guy. There is no antagonist, really. Yeah. yeah. Even Which Missy is, is weirdly neutered in this episode. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, wait. Oh, all right. Missy. Why is Missy surprised by this? Why at the end does Missy go, oh, I didn't expect the Earth not to blow up? Her entire plan over the arc of this season has the... <laughs> it, she counts on the Earth not blowing up. She, yeah, has she counts on it being there Simon. next week. Exactly. Why does she like look at an iPad and go, oh. It's not an iPad. Didn't it's r- just a standard computer monitor. Okay, fine. Why, why does she go, oh, I did not expect that to happen? Was her plan... Well, I was, I was trying to think whether she tried to orchestrate something. So whether she'd somehow manipulated the doctor to be there at that time. And she thought he was going to save the day and get rid of the forest and ah. therefore cause the end of the earth. Oh, oh, that would have been so much better. Yeah, wouldn't it Agreed, have? yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shame oh. that wasn't what happened. Never mind. So far, yeah. that's the rewrite, uh, retro rewrite of the week. <laughs> I wonder if perhaps they wanted to go in that direction, but they had to keep her... Because we don't know officially that she's the master yet. Yeah. So she can't do anything explicitly nefarious. Do we know anything about her yet? We don't know that she's an evil woman. We just know that she's watching everything. She's, felt, just, she's just the woman from the shop. I felt like yeah. the uh, post-credits next time on Doctor Who thing kind of gave it away. I don't want to jump oh. to the even after the end, but there are so many clips of her going like, do you know who I am? And everything is sort of zooming in on her. It's like, oh, well, the people are now going to spend the next week figuring it out, I think. Or the next five seconds figuring it out yeah. the next week waiting. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, do you want to hear another thing that was set up but then not really followed through? There are... No, well, I did. I know. I I did want to say first that mm-hmm. there was some direction to Maeve's hithering and thithering, oh. which was she had to get to the enchanted golden light glade. Yeah, she was aiming for the because the doctor says she can take us to the center of this. Oh right, um, okay. And then she ends up in this weird light. I don't know what that is. It's just a place, isn't it? It's just... and why was it lit up? But they because are everywhere. Can they before... not just? This was before we could see the things that were hithering and thithering about her face. And that was only thanks to the Doctor, wasn't it? Yeah, because yeah, he manipulated the gravity. He yeah, exactly. He them. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know what the... what. Where was she? And why was it all glowing? If they are quite literally everywhere, <laughs> and they have covered the entire Earth, <laughs> does it matter if a little girl travels, like, runs, let's say, 250 metres due west? Like, does... Does that make a difference? Well, maybe they were planning to meet her where the government guys burning down the trees were. And they were like, you know what? This isn't safe. We're going to lead this little girl to safety. Why do they want to meet her? Because they've been talking to her for ages. They're in her head. They're practically symbiotic. But they can just... I mean, I feel like they've already met her. It's just but they that... don't need her for anything, no. do they? Like... They need to use her as a conduit, right? Because do they? that do... was set up all along. What, to but call they don't. the whole planet and yeah. say... 
Oh, guys, please don't burn the trees down. That's a different bit. That's sister needs to come home. That's such nonsense. <laughs> oh, if, my God. If, That's if later. She, <laughs> if she had done if she had done nothing, I mean, she could very happily just have remained medicated forever, <laughs> and the earth would have been fine, you know? Yeah. And then as an adult, she wouldn't even know that anything had happened. As an adult, she would just go, oh, yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, I was troubled, and I went on a, I, like, I took a whole bunch of pills, and then I was cured. And then my sister came back. Turns out she was living in a bush. So, like... She was abducted by energy particles. Oh. <laughs> Look, I, I take your point that this episode doesn't need to have occurred. And none of the Doctor, Clara, Danny, these students need to be in it or That's witness fine. it. And indeed, most of them don't witness the bit at the end. <laughs> but there is another reason it could exist. It is nice to have a sort of whimsical, oh, what if the Earth were suddenly overgrown with uh, trees overnight? And then what would happen? Experience. I, I completely agree with you. I don't think it's a problem that there isn't a mission or something that they have to do. But the fact that they still try to do stuff without having to do any of it, that's what gets on my nerves. Maybe the moral needs to be drawn then that, guys, just chill out. Not everything exactly has an antagonist lurking behind it. If Yeah, if they had learnt that lesson a bit more explicitly, maybe that would have been better. Okay, so here are a couple more things that are set up that, that, <laughs> that aren't followed through. <sighs> Wait, which one to pick? Which one to pick? I have a few. All right. <laughs> so at one point, we are introduced to gigantic cobwebs. Like enormous yes. cobwebs. Oh, yes. How to. What happened to those? Who made them? And why? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe some of the tiny particle things didn't get the memo that we're going to be trees this week and they just <laughs> turned into giant spiders instead. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, energy particles can do anything they like. Yeah, true. <laughs> They were like, oh, wait, we're going to catch this uh, sunbeam in uh, in our big web. That's that's the plan, isn't it, guys? And then realised... What happened what? is this is all about creating a, a nice environment, right? So some of the energy particles got an, a third memo that turned them into <laughs> giant flies. And then the others were like, oh, hang on, we've got to catch these giant flies. Well, we'll turn into giant spiders. Oh, okay. And we'll eat the flies. And then some of us can turn into giant birds. And somewhere down the line, one of us needs to turn into a really giant old woman. And she can stand on top of Nelson's column. <laughs> because... Nobody can tell the difference. And she can just swallow everything and then burst. And people will think, oh, that, this is like a fairy tale. That makes sense. Are you managing to fool yourself? <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, can we take a tally? Like, so far, have we managed to talk you down a little bit, Drew? Or are you oh, still yeah. just oh, as enthusiastic? Absolutely. I, I didn't actually write a rating. Um, okay. I just came away with a... <laughs> A fuzzy feeling with some grievances and oh. just adding to the latter. <laughs> I think I think I'm managing to talk myself down. I didn't know if that was possible. I was just about to ask if <laughs> Drew has talked you up, Marie. <laughs> <laughs> Drew has yet to say anything positive about this episode. What did you like about this episode, Drew? Well, I found myself waiting for it to get bad. And okay, it did. It absolutely <laughs> did. <laughs> But I really enjoyed the first 20 or so minutes. There was a lot of mystery built up. Okay, very little of it paid off. Leon has pointed out how few of these things actually... There are more things on my list. Yeah. <laughs> we could probably talk all night about those. But while they're setting it up, I was enjoying that as an experience. And I thought, I mean, should we talk about the kids? 
I guess we should. Because I'm going to start off with a very controversial statement, which is that I think this is the best set of Coal Hill school kids in this series. <gasps> what? We're comparing it to... What's her face? Courtney. 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 Oh, lovely Courtney. Yeah. You don't like Courtney. Do you think this was originally written with Courtney in mind? Why isn't Courtney there? She should be, sure. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, she's gifted and talented. The one, I can't remember her name, the one who doesn't have an imagination. That girl. Ruby, 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 Ruby. Ugh. Ruby. Could, oh, Ruby. Yeah, could Ruby she... Ruby's the worst. I know, but could she have been intended to be Courtney? Maybe. Ruby has won a BAFTA. Yeah. Oh, for what? Ruby. In the by mistake category. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ruby. I'm sure you're a great actress. She doesn't give a shit what you think. She has a BAFTA. Of course Ruby she does Ruby was played by Harley Bird. Okay. That's a good name. Yeah, that's a great name. That's a solid, <laughs> that's a solid celebrity name. <laughs> I'm going to put that in the same category as, what's his name? Marie, you know what I'm talking about. What? The, the guy whose celebrity name is just like, blew my mind. <laughs> there's, there's a, there's a, the James Bond villain has the same name. Yeah. R- Remy. Remy, yes, Remy. Anyway, sorry, Drew, I cut you off there. I apologize. <laughs> I'm Harley a sucker Bird, for a good celebrity name. Harley Bird was, as far as I can tell, the third actress to voice Peppa Pig, for which she won a BAFTA. Oh, God. So, that just doesn't count. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, I was prepared to be to proved... mantelpiece. Yeah, I was prepared <laughs> to be proven wrong there, Drew, but I'm sorry, that just doesn't count. <laughs> it's not even a technical BAFTA. It's a real deal. <laughs> Don't be jealous, Leon. I told you this last week. Oh, no, I absolutely am jealous, but... <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yes, I know. No, no, but I mean, w- well done, um... Harley. Harley Bird. Thank you. So, yeah, nicely done, but... Mm. Just really everything, nice. everything she said was so stilted <sighs> and Really, yeah, very and... poorly delivered. Yeah. I thought it was so stilted and weird that it was consistent. <laughs> It was consistent. That's just how she talks. She's she's part of the gifted and talented crew. She's probably playing it up. Gifted and talented, the same as special. It is, though, because there's a kid who's in there for anger management and Maeve's on medication. In this context, because I think there used to be like a gifted and talented like bit at school and you could be taken out and you were like the highest group in the class. But this is not that. This is Farah just trying not to tell them that they're the like, uncontrollable lot that they don't know what to do with. But there are a few scenes where, in fact, with Ruby, I feel, where... No, no, sorry, it's Ruby once and possibly an unnamed boy in the class who... Mm. um, No, it's the boy with the... Hang on, here's another bullet point, something that doesn't get picked up on. The boy with the not allergy. Anyway, so these two... Bradley, yeah, Bradley's pocket supernova. Both of those kids exhibit, actually way higher observational skills than any of the teachers. Like the, mm-hmm. It is Bradley, right, who looks at the plant and goes, like, oh, look, there are, there's a nut and there's a like a seed pod or a flower or whatever it is. That's so, Ruby. Oh, that's Ruby. Sorry. Oh, all kids look the same to me. So... <laughs> <laughs> And Ruby sees the ring in the tree. Yeah, exactly. Well. That's the other one, yeah. Well observed, little boy. The... <laughs> um... But yeah, I feel like that's supposed to be when you see the flashback to Ruby in class and she's just absolutely like thick as a plank and she's going, look, that that X is there. Can't you see it, sir? And this is supposed to be like fast forward six months and she's been under Danny's tuition the whole time. And now she's really smart and savvy and she's asking questions. And... I don't think that's I don't true. I, I, think, yeah. I think Ruby is on a spectrum. I think she takes everything excessively literally. Yeah. 
She's extremely callous. At one point, she says, Maeve, what are you doing? You're not going to find your sister out in the forest. I think she's probably got Asperger's. And Mm. that would tie in with everything being stilted. Now, whether she is acting that deliberately or that's just a coincidence, I don't know. But to me, it fits. That's a solid theory. Don't get me wrong. But I think it's equally as likely to be due to either poor acting or poor directing. I said, yeah, I like I like your theory. I wish that was true, but I just yeah. struggled to buy it. <laughs> but she also this says, is intentional. She also says that she's got no imagination. Just ask Miss Oswald. Now that could be construed as Clara being a bit insulting, but that might also just be an, a symptom of her condition. True, and we all know that Clara would never insult a child. So yeah, Clara's got heart gold. She does. Hmm. Well, Marie, you must have liked the bit where Clara was saying, well, that sort of attitude is actually very attractive. <laughs> <laughs> I did, actually. I thought that was one of Clara's better lines. Apropos of Clara's heart of gold, it seems as though, according to her, it would be better to let all those kids die than to save them, but yeah. not their moms. Like, there's, yeah. there's a weird moment towards the end where she goes, no, I mean, yeah, you could save us, but then we'd be lonely. Yeah, but you'd be alive. <laughs> and look, look, you've got, like, six girls and six boys, you know, in a few years' time. You can, <laughs> you can have a jury. You could have yeah. a whole little village of, like, three-legged delinquents. Inbreds, yeah. <laughs> Gifted and talented. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't, I didn't buy that at all. Because she goes, oh, come on, let's go back to the TARDIS. It's a life raft. Let's, you know, save some people. And then as yeah. soon as they got there, she's like, no, sorry. She explains that that was all a ruse to get the I doctor know, to bugger off. Yeah, I know what? she explains it, but why? And, seems... and couldn't you? The, the whole Danny will never leave these children will drop the children back off with their parents and then you and Danny can go off with the doctor and you can repopulate the earth. Like, you save someone. Go and, like, go somewhere else in London and round up some strangers. Don't she just give up on a human someone. race. I mean, She's here's saving a... the doctor. But, but, I mean, here's a thought. It's a time machine. <laughs> 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 Surely there is enough time to just drop off all of those kids at their respective houses and ask if the mums and dads want to tag along. And if not, fine, you know, stay here and explode. If, if yeah, but- yeah, then yeah, tag along. We'll find a planet for you. How are they going to contact everybody to get them to coordinate? They're all there. And they ring everybody in this episode, yeah. Yeah, they yeah. ring the entire planet, too. <laughs> yeah, the entire planet. Couldn't you ring the entire yeah. planet and say, you're all going to die. If anyone wants a lift, come, <laughs> yeah, come meet yeah. me here. <laughs> they ring the entire planet and all nine phones ring. Yeah, this is, though, entirely consistent with Clara's behaviour from the other terrible episode in this series. Not Robin of Sherwood. Kill the moon. <laughs> because... In that episode too, she has she doesn't ask the Earth mm. about taking an executive action. Yeah. And here again, she talks on the kids' behalf and just doesn't involve them in the actual decision. She has the most skewed conception of democracy for a teacher who I don't know, maybe maybe she thinks she's an emperor, like her idol, Marcus Aurelius. <laughs> <laughs> All things considered, he was relatively benevolent though. Yeah, yeah. He was quite wise. I, I would have expected the doctor to put up more of a, a fight or an argument and say, yeah. Clara, you're way wrong. I spent my whole 12 lifetimes doing nothing but saving people, and now you're telling me not to. Like, the fuck, I'm going to listen to you. Do you know what it made me think of, Drew, is the Pompeii episode and Donna Noble. <gasps> and- <Donna> Noble. <laughs> Plus point one. And then... Um, 
And how desperately she was like, just save someone. Just like, this can't have been all for nothing. Imagine Donna Noble in this situation now and the entire planet mm. is going down. Mm. How hard she would have fought to save someone. Yeah. And how yeah. disillusioned she would be by the doctor's reluctance to do any... I mean, at the yeah. end of this, Capaldi just gets in his TARDIS and leaves. If he hadn't then figured out that, oh, actually, there's no problem, I can go back, that would have been, like, what we just saw, that would have been his goodbye with Clara. Yeah, and he that's, would have watched the Earth get roasted. Yeah, that's terribly underwhelming well, as companion even, goodbyes go. He even said, yeah, it would have been incredibly underwhelming. Hmm. Um, he even says when they're in the TARDIS looking down on the Earth, he's like, oh, I hope I'm right. And I was like, oh my god, what if you're not? If oh, you've just kidnapped her. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just made her be, like, be exactly what she said she didn't want to be. Someone, I think it might be Ruby. Is, it, is she called Ruby? Ginger one. Ginger one. Terrible. She, she says a line about the flame-proof forest just Pepper. before he goes into the TARDIS. And as soon as she said that, I was like, okay... Yeah. Like now he's we know. got it now. Now yeah. he knows the forest is here to protect us. The earth's not going to die. Yeah. But it, it takes him a good couple of minutes once he's in the TARDIS to work it through. It's just like it takes yeah, him so much longer the than the idiot. <laughs> not the Doctor Donna. Yeah. <laughs> Synonymous. So... <laughs> How very dare you! It takes him so much longer than. I'm assuming every every audience Rest member, audience. yeah, exactly. including yeah. the kids. So, I mean, it, yeah. it, it just not believable. Sorry, Does that that would have been more forgivable if he'd have gone into the TARDIS knowing what the answer was. Yeah, exactly. And it, then he wasn't walking away from her. He was going to just tippy tap some figures in the computer and make sure everything was okay, and then tell her his solution. But yeah, it really felt like he, he that was a goodbye for him. It was just like, okay, yeah. well, never mind. He doesn't You're even say goodbye. And she doesn't say goodbye. She just walks away. Yeah. Like, she just turns around and walks away. And he's like, yeah. all right, well, fine, I guess so. Fuck you, then. Yeah. <laughs> just turn around. I, I have a note where Clara says, hard to get rid of a flame-proof forest, Maeve, eh? Let me walk you to your death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so cold. The flames in question, the actual solar flare, the phenomenon, is uh, referred to with its technical term in, in this episode as well, namely coronal mass ejections. Yeah. So, so we have what appears to be some sort of quarantine in London. There are coronal ejections and uh, there's a cobra meeting. So Yeah, because the sun can't stop coughing. <laughs> <laughs> I did think the, their first response... We're just gonna burn the forest down. I'm just like, are you kidding me? Yeah, it's all right. We've, we've got three dudes in asbestos outfits. That's enough, right? Six dudes. Six dudes. Six dudes. Six dudes is enough to take care One of all of London. <laughs> it's like builders, isn't it? One digs a hole, and the other five are like, good, yeah, yeah, good, yeah, yeah good, yeah. A bit more good, over there. Keep digging, Brian. <laughs> I'll take lunch orders. All right, yeah, I'm off. <laughs> Who's doing the tea? Can we talk tigers? First off, great. I'm happy that there was a tiger. It was a nice effect. But... Effect? That was a real that tiger, a, Yeah, that was a real tiger. Oh, it was a real tiger, but it had been comped into the scene. I mean, they didn't have access to a tiger. <laughs> like, you think? Pretty you sure. Have a zoo? I'm pretty... Well, even if they did film an actual tiger, I mean, at some point, yes, that is a real tiger. So at some point, that tiger was actually filmed, but... Oh, it... They have to have filmed it because they were flashing the light in its eyes. That wasn't yeah. just stock tiger footage. I'm pretty sure it'd been comped in. Like, when the bars, when it's behind the bars, I'm pretty sure those bars are not, act like, they didn't film a tiger. Okay, it does 
doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Okay. okay. I was fooled. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it looked really good. Fine. Let's say it was a real tiger. It, it's like really well trained, and and they shot it. And it, it. Like at one point, the tiger goes lion, and they roar at it. And it's like and it roars, and it's fine. It's, it, it, two takes max. It's it's okay. It's a, it's a union member. But you obviously haven't seen Tiger King. They're very well trained. I have seen Tiger King. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from when they attack you, then then yeah. Okay. So Pink shows up, flashes. That is first off. That's the lamest action scene I've ever seen. The, the music. <laughs> the music gives it so much pomp. Like it, it seems like this is the most exciting thing, but it's just him standing completely still and like shake waiting with his flashlights at the tiger. Yeah. And then it's the tiger. Quite great. He's yeah. on the same side of the fence as the tiger. If yeah. the tiger is like, actually, know. you know what? I can put up with this. Then he's gone in a single pounce. Wait. The, yeah. Then the tiger just leaves frame. As by the way, on the same side of the fence, the two wolves have just left frame and then they have the calmest conversation ever but there was just a fucking tiger there like just go at least change to the other side of the fence but no the wolves are on the other side of the fence because they leapt over the fence at one point but but it doesn't matter just leave leave there is a tiger within pouncing distance. The thing I didn't like about the whole wolf tiger scene was the little eyes in the bushes, and it was all black, and you could see the little like glow in the dark eyes. Oh yeah, and then pan to um, the side, a- another wolf. And there's like, another one. <laughs> they've been collaborating. They're like, hey, yeah. hey, Brett, Brett, you take that bush. I'm gonna take this one. Yeah, all right, Steve. Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, because wolves never hunt in packs. I mean, that's just beyond the pale. <laughs> but they're but so then, perfectly synchronized. It's, it all comes back. <laughs> around because that's exactly how we see little sister Annabelle. She's in the bush peeping through with her eyes. So it's uh, ah, symmetry. Yeah, she spent the last She's a wolf girl. As a person. Yeah. Yeah. She's like Mowgli. <laughs> yeah. She's a lycanthrope. <laughs> but they she didn't look like wolves. Licking herself where she can't as a human. <laughs> anyway, my note there was just that the tiger clearly has ADD because like you just flash a light and like shout at it and it just goes, Oh wait, I think I saw a squirrel and then it runs off and it's like has it's like, lost it should have been a laser movie. pen and it just like shut it in the <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Yeah, but they can't give that to Bradley because he could genuinely blind unnamed yeah. black schoolmate with that. <laughs> yeah. Also, a tiger knows when it's beaten. It's it's like a top predator. It's not going to spend too long on the same missed opportunity. The other thing as well, when uh, little Maeve is running through the forest doing a little hand thing, running away from the yeah. wolves, uh-huh. and the wolves are like running at full pelt, and then they're like really far behind her, and they're running at full pelt again, and they're still really far behind her, and they never catch her up. It's like, I'm pretty sure a wolf, even, hey, if, even a zoo wolf, you know, a pampered pet pooch, it can still run faster than little Maeve on a little... Yeah. Hey Brett, do you do you feel like this girl's really really fast? Yeah, uh, John. <laughs> I've forgotten your name. All wolves look the same. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, my my note is Maeve should have been little red riding toast within seconds. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then Clara could have got away with whoever else she was with, I forget, because they would have been stopped to eat Maeve and then that would have made sense. Yeah. You know yeah. what it was? Maeve was borne <laughs> along by the protective energy particles. She was actually going about 30 miles an hour. 
So do you think there was ever an, any intention to put anything about a nut allergy in this episode? We get two references. This, nut al- yeah. this is the most substantiated thing about this whole episode. It gets grounded twice, yet nothing ever happens. And I was absolutely sure that, oh, I mean, my first note about it is the nut allergy exposition can go to hell. Because I was absolutely sure that towards the end of the episode, like, a walnut is going to fall from a a tree into his mouth and he's going to start, like, coughing. (laughs) (laughs) See, I had the opposite response because he was talking about his nut allergy and I was thinking, there's no way this is going to come up. How are they going to write this into the story? And then they said it again. I was just like, no, I don't buy it. If they write in a nut allergy, it's... It's not gonna be good, and then yeah, yeah. and she points. Sorry, yeah, what's her face? Ruby, not he. She Ruby. points out that there are that there's a nut on the plant. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is clearly gonna happen, and then it doesn't happen. That's the narrative equivalent of being blueballed. Like this just, episode. Oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> they're just trying to educate you on the different types of allergies that many schoolchildren may have. It's an important service. I'll it's tell you what it is. Oh, I'll you, tell you what it's for. Okay, let's hear it. It is to play up the rancor and disharmony within the class because you've got the little unknown black kid and at the beginning he's like, don't call us team. Mr. Pink, stop calling us team. And him and Bradley have some sort of animosity and Ruby doesn't just doesn't care. And by the end, they are a team and they've all bonded and they're happy and they're like one cub pack romping through the forest and people are saying watch out for your nuts bradley and he's like whoops that <laughs> sounds risque <laughs> oh, they all fall about. i wish that scene had been in there <laughs> <laughs> did you not like when the black kid says i slightly want my mum too Aww. yeah that was I nice the word slightly just, just slightly. made that line gold absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. No, this episode is not without its moments. It's just that they are very few and very far between. What about the guy reporting for the Ghana Black Stars? And he says, oh. does not look like the pitch will be ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was good. <laughs> that was quite, yeah, I agree. That was quite funny. That scene, though, I, I made a note of that scene for another reason, because we get to see the green globe, like the green earth, oh. and all these TV channels floating around it. And that animation is is that's for our benefit it's the equivalent of like comic book films or whatever you, you get to see like the spinning newspaper articles towards the screen like oh uh, joker strikes again penguin sighted at factory blah blah whatever but and here, yeah and here we get to see all these news channels but we don't get to see that very often on on doctor who normally if anything we get to see what a person in that universe will see as in for example an actual news broadcast and they'll just flip between them i mean it took me out of it a little bit to suddenly have this oh here's a montage like this creative after effects montage of no just me okay fine no i thought it was a relief not to have the uh same standard procedure protocol even it was that rigid from the rtd day days of here is the bbc news report <laughs> here is the new york version of it here's japan just look it's japan and then back to the bbc to finish it off and maybe new york will cap it maybe that was as different as it got this was refreshingly novel for me you know what i'll i'll take it yeah that's convinced convinced that's two good things about this episode so far hey. what about when capaldi says to mave mr pink was looking after you that explains why you're lost you could take yeah. it or leave it yeah uh, i'm okay with that 
possibly actually in the same scene, there's another line where when he opens the TARDIS door, he looks out, then he has to look down because he isn't expecting a child. And she just goes, I'm lost. And he just points at some random direction. <laughs> just like, it's that away. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, felt very Capaldi. I like that. Yeah. I thought that whole cold open was really good. I thought that when you climbed up Nelson's column and the ivy was going up it and then you saw the whole of London just covered in foliage. That Very was, nicely, nice effect, yeah. Were this episode better, that would be an iconic image of New Who that people would be fond of remembering because I thought it was pretty spectacular. That was a very nice effect and it was a very nice image, but because we get to see so little of London in this episode, it felt like a bit of a letdown. I mean, we, we get to see all these more interesting parts of London, like parts of London that would be more interesting to explore in this episode. Oh, you they walk past the London Eye or, oh, there's Big Ben wrapped in ivy or something to that effect. Or the shard, like there are flowers reaching all the way up the shard, but then they just walk through someone's back garden yeah. for 40 and actually, you minutes. Know what? You've made me think, thinking more about that image and people's back gardens. Once you get up to the top of Nelson's Column from that vantage point, it should just be, as Marie said earlier, central London where nobody lives, but it's just housing estates. Uh, and then the Thames and the South Bank way off. So yeah. Nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Careful, Bradley. (laughs) Well done. Okay, there are two voices. This is not a criticism in any way, so I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll tone down the vitriol. I apologize if I'm incredibly upset. But this episode really upsets me. But, th- but there are two voices in this episode that stand out to me. Let's start with the more interesting of the two. Is this the first time that we actually get to hear a TARDIS computer voice? Oh, that did stand out, that you have reached your destination. Exactly, yeah. 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 I would have liked Capaldi to have... differentiate that in some way and said the TARDIS uh, sat-nav console is malfunctioning. Yeah, yeah, uh, the TARDIS Thomas Thomas is is whatever. (laughs) But yeah, it seemed beneath the TARDIS to be saying that in that robotic way after we've met the Doctor's wife and it was Mm. exalted and we, we loved seeing it represented so mythically and everything. This is a debasement. And the point with the doctor's wife as well, that at the end of the episode, they say goodbye. And it's like, I'm not going to get to talk to you again. You don't have a voice. The TARDIS is not vocal. And now suddenly it's just talking to you. Yeah, evidently that was not true. Yeah. yeah. Unless this is something else. Maybe this is, yeah, maybe he just, maybe it's his phone. Like he had Google Maps on, <laughs> <laughs> on speaker. Yeah. <laughs> But the TARDIS never reaches its destination either. The last time we were supposed to be in London and we went to Bristol, like... Maybe that's why we've never heard it before. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, the second voice is the light bug voice that echoes Mm. through What's-Her-Face, Maeve. Oh, yes, that's right. How did you you guys feel about that? Marie? I quite liked that you could... You could hear Maeve's voice as well. There was this really, really high-pitched Charles voice and then the really deep... Hmm. They sounded quite yes, nice together. That was I can't do two. I can whistle. <laughs> I, I thought I could do two at once. Uh, uh, no. uh, uh, there's a reason people can't do single uh, eyes. I'm thinking of Family Guy. Just oh, fuck, cut it. <laughs> I felt like I'd heard that exact thing done many times. But how do you feel about the light bugs speaking in a slightly pitch shifted male voice in English? through this girl you're saying it's all too neat just i i don't know i thought it was a i thought it was a little lame they didn't have time to actually describe what these creatures these things were 
So they just said, you know what, let's just give them a voice and have them deliver some exposition in one tiny scene. Well, this brings me to the question of what are you going to call them in the Vindex? I'm going to look up what they're called on TARDIS Wikia. I'm, I'm assuming that they have a name. Hang on, I'm heading there now. I'd be interested to know the name because when they are talking in their weird, very neat voice, which, by the way, they would know English because they've been here all along and they could speak in any version of English they wanted. They they said a number of different things. They said, we're the green shoots. They talked about themselves in semi-mystical terms, but didn't actually give themselves a name as far as I could hear or pin themselves down in any way. That's true. I don't. I don't think they mention anything either. I'm just looking at Todd's wiki now. And are they supposed to be like a? Was it all of them talking, or was it one of them talking? Was, are they like a hive mind? I think that's a. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. It's one English dude. But why? <laughs> like they're they're all around the world. Yeah, but they've heard them, the characters, talking in English, so they're going to respond in English. They're a hive mind. They know all the languages ever. I'm not. I'm not hearing any. Oh, sorry. I'm not seeing anything on on uh, Todd's Wikia. I'll do some research. We'll see what it comes up as uh, on on the Vindex. Podcast land. Go to the Vindex. Have a look. <laughs> <laughs> How do you guys feel about Pink, the character, not the color? <laughs> I think I'm a bit bored of him by this point. I remember this, like this time around, being a lot more pro Danny Pink and thinking they're. Like, their relationship is good, and I was really hard on him the first time around. And then this episode, just like, he knows that Clara's been lying to him. And he keeps just being, like, super-duper patient and just putting up with stuff and just being, oh, yeah, have a think and come back to me when you're rational. And I'm sure we've heard that from him a couple of times, at least. Yeah, it is going round a familiar track. There is even a point where, after he's well aware that Clara has been lying to him for the past several months. And one of the kids says, you're supposed to be madly in love with her. And he starts to say, yeah, I am. Yeah. And the fact that he's been betrayed yet again has, hasn't made a dent on it. And it, and Clara's pissing me off. Because, like, why do you keep lying to him? He he's, keeps being really open and saying, like, it's your decision. You do what you want to do. I'll support whatever. Like, I don't want to go traveling with you, but I'm not going to stop you. And she consistently lies to him. And there's just no need for it. It's not like she's told him and he's put his foot down and now she's protecting herself so that she can have a cake and eat it. She's just lying for the sake of lying. And it just Yeah, true. She doesn't respect their relationship and him, I don't think, at this point. After last week's or last episode's reveal of, of her having lied, I mean, when the doctor found out that, oh, she's been lying about yeah. you know, Danny Pink's agreement with the whole thing, it really seemed like they were setting up a, <laughs> a deeper, more meaningful conversation between those two characters. And actually, it seems as though she's gotten off scot-free. Like, there are absolutely no consequences. Yeah. He's fine. It's, he's unfazed. Yeah, you know what? This is veering perilously close to Amy and Rory territory. It, you're right, yes. Because Danny Pink, I can understand why he might be reacting in this way. Not having had PTSD or known anyone with PTSD, this is a rather disconnected theory I have no personal experience with. But he's seen terrible things. He's come back to England. He just wants his life to start going right. Mm. I can see why he might become a bit more passive and a bit more doormatish and a bit hopeful and just wanting someone to treat him right if he is good enough to them. Yeah. And so Clara needs to step up and stop veering towards the Amy character. And mm. 
increasingly objectionable behavior from her we're seeing it's interesting because on so many occasions do we see her taking care of of children who have the, the exact same requirement like the the same emotional need and she steps up and because she's a teacher and she delivers and she even did that with Danny Pink when he was a child. But now that he's an adult, she refuses to help him. At and least- you're right with the like the PTSD as well. I'd sort of forgotten about that. But when they're having the conversation about, don't you want to come and see this? You know, the son's going to put out a, whatever it's called. What Coronal it? mass ejection. Yeah. And the earth is going to have a, a massive forest oxygen airbag and it's fantastic and you'll never see anything again like it. And why wouldn't you want to do that? And she just has absolutely no like comprehension that he, that he doesn't want what she wants. He doesn't want to see this. And you're right. If you've gone through something like that in war, he just wants a normal life. He wants something that's safe and stable and he doesn't want to go off and see the things that she does. And she just can't get her head around that at all. Yeah, if she's not going to be just a boilerplate Amy, then she'll turn around to the Doctor and say, you know what, Doctor? I'm going to sack this one off. We'll see some other planet being engulfed by a gigantic supernova. Why not? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know if she has to give up on seeing it, but at least be more understanding of what to why he doesn't want to. Yeah, yeah. Also, a uh, time machine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Keep forgetting about that bit. <laughs> She doesn't have to see every last wonder to the exclusion of Danny Pink. Yeah. True. I hope it turns around. I hope she starts treating him a bit better. I hope so too. Yeah, there aren't many episodes. Yeah, you're right. I wouldn't count on it. (gasps) It's like one or two episodes left now. Yes, hmm, a two-parter. Yes, exactly. It's in either the first or the... I can't remember which part, but I do remember what happens. (laughs) What about Leon? The bit where the Doctor's explaining, and this is again in the Great Cold Open how the TARDIS can be bigger on the inside. And he's like, glasses of cork is only this big, but it has this much sugar. <laughs> That's good. That's a really good scene. I like that. I think I, was, I think I was won over by the beginning and that just carried through. I like that. That, the- and, that and thinking, hmm, this isn't as bad as I remembered, got me a long way through the episode before <laughs> it finally hit. I agree. A long way? A long way through the episode. I would say 27 minutes. Wait, until what? What is the decisive moment? Well, I think at that point I realised that, wow, they really aren't going to be able to um, wrap this up in 18 minutes in the way I want. And and also, also, while they did vary the street furniture in the forest, and I found it quite fun to see a bus stop and various road signs, whatever, it did get repetitive. And I did start to glaze over at yet another solid green background well they're just walking back and forth aren't they they've i liked the bike halfway up a tree yeah that oh, was i didn't nice. see that yeah that's quite nice and the taxi yeah. the overgrown taxi mm. yeah with no one stuck in it <laughs> going back to the bigger on the insides uh, scene i i also quite liked the line of yeah i thought it was supposed to be so i didn't say anything <laughs> yeah <laughs> didn't want to be rude yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's always good to have the Doctor slightly disgruntled at, oh, that moment of majesty didn't quite land. Okay, so something mm-hmm. I did note as bad. Oh, yeah. Oh, finally. <laughs> hey, everyone, here's my friend who agrees with me. Yeah, <laughs> worth the wait. <laughs> when the Doctor says the TARDIS is listening into every communication channel, and so the trees can't possibly be communicating, but that's just not true. There's no explanation as to why it's not true, it just happens not to be true. And then when it isn't true, the doctor doesn't react. He just says, oh, this kid is um, 
different. Wait, sorry, he this, is, try to this is the out. Sonic you mean? The Sonic screwdriver? No, no, the TARDIS. He's he's he says the TARDIS has all its channels open and it's picking up nothing. It's not picking up the energy particles, so there can't be anything there. For the first half hour, he is adamant, and so is Clara, that there is some invasion force behind all this, rather than it being the trees themselves or the energy particles that also are the trees themselves, however confusing that is. And then it just turns out that he was wrong. And there's no further comment. There's no like, oh, I'll get right to work on that and add that to my knowledge bank in the TARDIS. He, he just says, oh, Maeve is weird. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. There's, I, I remember there being similar arguments said about how he can use the sonic screwdriver to analyze things in this episode. I mean, he, he tries to scan the trees and he's like, oh, there, there are, I think on two occasions does he say there are, there's no circuitry and no moving parts. So he, you can't analyze anything. But there are moving parts because they're growing. Yeah. And, and also there are swarms of these energy particles. Exactly. So yeah. uh, so there's clearly communication. They're communicating with the girl, for one, for example. They communicate with the doctor at one point. <laughs> in fact, with everyone at one point. So clearly that shouldn't be a problem. Like the, the only thing Thing. I'm not entirely sure where the restrictions with the sonic screwdriver come in because very often certainly now with the 13th doctor like so one doctor later certainly and I want to say with Matt Smith as well there were occasions where the doctor would scan a life form with the sonic and go like oh you know this is what's going on with you oh, in fact wait Capaldi this doctor used his sonic to scan one of the merry men in uh, the robot of Sherwood and go like so oh you did. Ha- you have 6 months left to live but that's an organic being just like a tree effect i mean it's a human it's more complex but but i mean it's it doesn't have to contain circuitry it can also just be a bio scanner yeah occasionally it's very limited occasionally it's not limited at all they just haven't made up their minds or possibly this is a duff episode possibly possibly i guess maybe you do you have to know what you're scanning for so he was scanning for that to think this is not a normal tree i'm gonna see if it's a circuitry tree and he wasn't scanning for the tiny okay nanobot things that were in the air because as soon as he knew they were there then he knew the right setting to that's true but then at one point he just pointed at clara's phone and goes oh you have mave's number in there i've now just by pointing it at your phone i now have a gps focused on her phone that was ridiculous what? yeah not even get her number up and i'll scan it no. yeah just yeah. the information is in there i can retrieve it yeah so there's a yeah. setting look for mave in the <laughs> in the like contacts list yeah and tell me where she is <laughs> there are two wait there are two maves wait you never told oh, me your mum's name mave? is mave yeah so. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. No, I hated that. That was awful. And I'll take another point off for that one. <laughs> you you must be in the <laughs> negatives right now. Speaking of multiple maves, Ooh. give me your honest reaction to the to Capaldi going, Mave, 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 <laughs> Mave, Mave. Okay, first off, soundbite. Secondly, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I give that two thumbs up and chin chin. Oh wow, okay. Yeah, well done. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't like it, Drew. Well, I want to hear what you think. Oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't really know which bit you're referring to. 
where Maeve's gone missing and he doesn't he he should know that Maeve is the only kid he's been around up to that point. Yeah, I like ah, and he's looking everybody in the face and he's trying to Yeah, I actually quite like that. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because I was a bit like I'd, I don't pay that much attention to children. They all look a bit the same to me. If you told me this child is called Maeve and then 10 minutes later put me in a room full of 30 kids, I would not know which one was Maeve. It was a small white girl in a red coat. Hmm, I'll ask this, <laughs> this uh, redhead girl in a white coat. I'll ask this black boy. I'll ask this whatever. So, <laughs> I really enjoy that he is as oblivious to the identity of children as Strax is yeah. to like any human. Yeah. <laughs> I liked that theme. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You've talked me up, Drew. Well done. Okay. So on that theme, what do you think of Capaldi's face work in this episode and his sort of general understated clowning around? Marie, I mean, go it, for it. Is it strong? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't really notice it. Is it just, does he do a lot of clowning around? Well, he did that, and he did the bit we've already talked about where he tells the girl to go away, and he sort of looks over her and looks down, and there's a there's a strange camera angle where he's pointing out at her from under the camera directly. Do you remember that? His, his, all you see is his hand pointing at her. Oh, well, I'm not sure I remember that, but speaking of strange camera angle, when he then walks around, perhaps in the same scene, when he walks around the TARDIS with Maeve, I'm pretty sure that's shot with a fisheye lens. <gasps> yeah! Yeah, because yes. yeah, his strange. head gets caught in it and it's like elongated. Why? Very strange. Uh, uh, not necessary. Okay, well let me broaden the question. Capaldi in general, how did he do? I think he was fine. Like, I don't know. I don't... Like, the, there's quite a few episodes recently where we've really praised Capaldi and Clara and their interactions together and their, like, acting. And I just feel like this wasn't one of those episodes. Like, he was he was good. Like, I enjoy him as the Doctor, but I don't think it was, a, like, a standout episode for him. Yeah, I, th- I think he did a decent enough job, but he doesn't have very much to work with in this one. Yeah. And then on top of that, there are... I mean, we already touched upon this a little bit before, but... There's definitely a part of this episode where I'm not sure I side with the Doctor. <laughs> like, like, towards the end, I just don't really understand what's going on there. Like, on an ethical level, why is he taking that stance and why is he just effing off? He was fine, but the Doctor was not well written. Yeah, shouldn't, yeah he shouldn't he have put up more of a fight for that. And the Doctor's been ethically dubious since Capaldi arrived. That was the whole point of the Half-Face Man. Yeah, but he super cares about Clara. And he yeah. super cares about mankind. Like, he basically says, this is my planet too. Um, I walk your... Uh, I breathe yeah. your air. What's that a Lovely line, by the, by the way. way? Lovely line. Yeah, that what's nice what's line. that line a callback? I, I don't know. I'm, I may be half remembering this or I may have entirely imagined it. Callback to what? To kill the moon. Doesn't Clara tell him that when it's like, you breathe our air, you walk our earth, so Ooh, you damn well make these decisions? That would oh, me like it more if it yeah, is. Yeah, that's like a plus point one. Yeah, because yeah, that would prove he's actually listened to something she said. Yeah, no, true. <laughs> I liked her response as well. She just says, you're welcome. Oh, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm adding plus point one, because in general, maybe, yeah. maybe my rating is a little too harsh, but we'll see. <laughs> okay, let me take that point one right off. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> because... The trees are entirely flame-proof. 
because they withhold the oxygen, yeah. right? And they smother the fire. Without so oxygen. why then do they then later act as an airbag and produce extra excess oxygen to burn off the impact? Because it yeah, isn't yeah. oxygen feeds the flames. You can't put out a fire with oxygen, can you? Well, if the trees were able to have it all and, and withhold it all, then fine. But when you hit with the sun, then surely the effect is entirely reversed. Mm. <laughs> you know what? I hadn't thought about this. Do they... Yeah, like, I'm taking that release, point off. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, cause, do they cause... release all the oxygen into the atmosphere and then the sun burns it off and but like burns itself out before it hits the earth. But it doesn't burn itself out. It grows. It doesn't burn itself out. They they mentioned the airbag. The airbag is what will destroy the planet. Yeah. Okay. That's that's true. That's so true. Uh, It's gonna. It's gonna. Taking off some points. (laughs) They they could just as easily have had like, oh, you know what? (laughs) All the earth gas and oil is coming up to the surface to protect the earth and like coat us in a nice protective (laughs) membrane of flammable chemicals. I had no thought about that. That makes no sense. Thank you very much, Drew. Well, you're in good company because Frank Cottrell Boyce, he didn't think about it either. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just a super quick observation. Once again, we have one of these very Star Trek Bones McCoy kind of lines of, hey, damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. In this one, we have, <laughs> I'm a time lord, not a childminder. Mm. And second point, there are a few cases of the doctor in this episode talking about how he's never encountered a forest that can reason logically that is intelligent and so on and right, so forth right. but forest achim yeah forest achim exactly second episode of this of the reboots Forest zero zero two, the end of the world. Exactly, and I'm assuming also other episodes, very possibly in in classic Who that we haven't even encountered yet, but possibly even in New Who that I'm not thinking of right now. Plus, like the countless plant-based aliens, so many plant-based aliens in classic Who, in particular, perhaps. Uh, sorry, sorry, JD. JD. Yeah, any of this, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, if he had a sort of filter block on it, he'd probably see, what, a quarter of the episodes? Talk to whoever made. <laughs> Hope you're okay, JD. Stay safe. Stay indoors. Well, I guess we'd better rate this bad boy. Let's do it. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. I didn't like this episode. It's really, really terrible. Mainly, I didn't like the children in it, especially that Ruby girl. She's awful. And I took lots of points off for her and took lots of points off for that rando girl in the bush at the end. She was the worst. (laughs) Um, And then I thought I'd taken all the points off that I could. And then Leon started just, you know, decimating it. And and points come flying left, right and center. And literally (laughs) I'm left with nothing. And I had a little, you know, I wrote down two scores and I was going to, listen to you guys and see what you said and <laughs> decide on which one and then so- somehow without meaning to I've been doodling on my on my book and I scribbled out the highest of the scores so Ooh. I'm left with my lowest score but anyway what I, what I would like to say is it has a good premise I liked the like overgrown London all the foresty things and the fairy tale like bringing in different fairy tales and I feel like if anything, it makes me hate the episode more because I think it, like, it could have been a really interesting thing. And I like the little Red Riding Hood and I like little Maeve and her little... She sees the little 
bits in the air, but we don't know what they're called. And I don't know, everything just was a massive letdown. And it's not enjoyable to watch, and I don't want to watch it again. <laughs> and so I'm giving it... <laughs> <God>. <laughs> I've written down, I've written down, I've got a 0.5. <gasps> wow! <laughs> oh my goodness! Which I just looked on my rating, so that's by far the lowest I've ever given anything. Um, <laughs> but it's just one of them, it's, you know, it's one of those days, I'm in one of those moods. I can't <laughs> Jim tried to go into Germany and was deported. I know. <laughs> Nothing's going right this week. I know. <laughs> It is what it is. I like and, it. Yeah, I'm uh, that's, sticking with it. That's solid. That's solid. I would like to tell you my my other rating. I was just going to gonna ask. Yeah, was only a, it was a zero point seven. So oh. <laughs> either oh. way, oh. miles <laughs> apart. Okay, I, <laughs> can I go next, Drew? Absolutely. Okay, thank you very much, Marie. I really appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> when I sat down to scribble down a couple of bullet points for my rating and my mini, I thought, you know what, maybe I'll make an effort. Maybe I'll use lots of forest puns. Maybe I'll I'll talk about how this episode really took a long time to start growing on you or something to that effect. But then, you know what, I chose, <laughs> I chose not to because what the actual poo in a picnic basket was this episode. There's barely a plot to speak of. The acting is predominantly performed by children who back in 2014 had not yet been banned from acting on screen. And seriously, I am super <laughs> duper serious. I'm going to start a petition and if we get enough signatures, they will have to debate this in Parliament. Uh, <laughs> I found Pink to be atrociously boring and goody-goody in this one. I'm sorry to say that. Both he and Clara, they are terrible teachers, by the way. She couldn't answer a single one of the kids' questions, and he lost one of them. Where is everyone else? Where is everyone in London? I'm returning to the vitriol. To top it off, I'm not sure I can relate to the doctor in this one either. How was this written by an award-winning author? There there are a, a couple of really incredibly lazy character arcs, but most characters just don't get one. And stuff is set up but not tied up, so yeah, whatever. Above all else, I really want to know what happened to the kid's nut allergy and where the crap has the big sister been this whole time. This episode should really, like, it should just take its time, it should have a good stretch, and it should give itself a running start so it can hurry up and go to hell. I'm going <laughs> to give this a 0.2. <laughs> that's amazing yeah i have the screenshot to prove it oh, <laughs> wow. <beat> that, Drew. <laughs> so when you were talking about hmm drew's added a 0.1 that was adding half on again yeah. <laughs> that was a 50 percent increase uh, which then you then promptly right yeah exactly oh. well done. Uh, <laughs> wow i didn't realize it was so, such a matter of life or death <laughs> <laughs> okay, are we ready for mine? Yeah, go for it. This episode receives the highest accolade I can bestow. <laughs> it wasn't as bad as I remembered. Okay. <laughs> I honestly thought it was, for the most part, quite charming. Oh. Frank Cottrell Boyce has seven children, which may explain why this class actually strikes me as a half-decent approximation of real children. Weird grab bag of misfits that they are, and that I was once part of. Ruby's a tiny bit excited that Maeve is going to die. And I liked her edge. 
there are multiple nice lines. Danny says that one person is harder to understand and more amazing than universes. Schmaltzy, fine. Spineless, okay. But mm, I like the feel of it. I like the taste. I thought Capaldi's performance was strong enough. He tried to zhuzh up what I think he knew wasn't a classic. And I appreciated his effort. However, Maeve's mum's quest is entirely pointless. And it's just the most conspicuous instance of how either most things aren't set up in this episode properly or followed through properly. Something is always lacking. It may have been conceived as a mood piece, a visual tone poem, an experience. But once you find out just how low the budget is going to be, Frank, maybe adapt your screenplay. Or, alternatively, Frank, stick to your guns. Show some backbone, some creative integrity, damn it. Hope for the best. <laughs> Don't just produce another wretched workaday mid-series disposable clone that will get forgotten. Stick in people's minds one way or another. This you did, Frank. But you did get a lot wrong. After the tiger repulsion and the reveal of the spores, the episode peters out. It gets more disjointed. And I've said it many times. The cardinal rule is that an episode has to end well. Annabelle popping out of a hedge at the end. I can't deny it. It's excruciating. It's enough to color your memories of the episode forever, as indeed it should. But what can I say? I grew up with evocative connections to Savanac Forest, and I'm transported by the fairy tale vibe all the way up to a 2.1. Oh, oh Drew. no. Drew, what are you doing? You've lost me in the forest. I've been sucked into a hedge. You may not find me for years. Oh. <laughs> Drew, the, the, a future you will look back on this in regret. Are you sure? <laughs> it's not too late, Drew. I'm, I'm very sure. <laughs> That's a that's a beautiful mini. <laughs> you can see how conflicted I was. Oh, yeah, clearly. Is this the most divisive review we've ever had or rating section we've ever had? No, because I gave Kill the Moon 0.9 and Marie gave it a 3.7. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't mind Kill the Moon. <laughs> well, we have some listener minis. Shall we see what they think? Let's... <laughs> Now let's hear from podcast land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Shazamatron! Welcome to the listener mini portion of this podcast episode. Who's first? Why, oh. it's Star Wars. Star Wars. Sil. Star Wars. Sil. Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Star Wars. Star Hello, Star Wars Sale. Star Wars Sale begins. I love the music at the beginning. I also love the lion statue and the trees. I am a little bit curious, though. When were we sh- when we were shown the image of the whole Earth, even the oceans were green? Does that mean that in the deepest parts of the ocean, oh. really tall trees grew up, or did water lilies just cover the ocean surface? Or maybe kelp just went bonkers. That's a good point. definitely went bonkers. (laughs) (laughs) Very good point. I had not thought about that. Jim mentioned that. Star Wars still continues. Last time we had giant webs, we ended up with moon parasites. But the time before that, the Pandorica? No spiders. We did that again here, in the small clearing, in the forest with the bright light. In the forest with the bright light. (laughs) Just before we meet the sparkles. Giant webs with very missing giant spiders. Yeah. Very odd. Very good point. And the sparkles, I think that might be what I call them in the Vindex. (laughs) 
<laughs> nice. nice one. Dorsal continues. Danny Pink is so caring, so intentionally kind. He doesn't leave kindness to chance. He sets out to be kind. And we cynically interpret that as passivity. Ah, we're I terrible know. people. Oh, I feel like I should give lovely Mr. Pink a bit more credit for his kindness. He's a very kind man, isn't he? Ugh. Anyway... Star Wars still continues with some good news. The doctor says, This is my world too. I walk your earth. I breathe your air. He has grown since Kill the Moon. Aha! <laughs> this is very exciting for me. We are not out of the woods yet, but it's getting better. And what does Star Wars Sill give this, Drew? Star Wars Sill gives this 4.8 out of 5 benevolent tree sparkles that stop the earth from burning. You have a green earth-sized heart. A huge, just enormous heart. <laughs> Planetary scale. <laughs> also, I changed my mind. They're now going to be called benevolent tree sparkles in the video. <laughs> <laughs> That's better. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Star Wars Sill. Thank you so much, Star Wars Sill. Very generous, Star Wars Sill. <laughs> Wait, did you just hear us? <laughs> did you just hear us say that even though you're not Star Wars Sill, well, fret not. You can go and follow Star Wars Sill on the interweb. Star Wars Sill can be found at Star Wars Sill. Star Wars Sill. Star Wars Sill. Thank you so much, Star Wars Sill. But just once. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we have a review from Jim the Fish. <laughs> Jim. Jim. <laughs> Jim begins with some short notes as Jim was watching. Jim don't understand the whole premise of everybody wakes up and there's trees everywhere. Surely some people would have been awake. Yes, like exactly. On the other side of the planet where it's daytime. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this was the same problem we had with Kill the Moon, or maybe Michael. Yeah, I think yeah, Michael pointed this out for Kill the Moon. Oh, my yes. goodness. A planet is a sphere, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Speak for yourself, I'm a flat earther. <laughs> Jim continues, why not just make it occur over a short space of time, like a few days? Yes. So the comparison to the Ice Age, no, that's not how Ice Ages work. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> brilliant. Oh, brilliant, Jim the Fish. And Jim continues, it's London. Where is Where everyone? Is <laughs> Did I miss a logical explanation as to why London only consisted of about 10 people instead of the 9.3 million? Lockdown? No. Uh, no. You didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next bullet point. Clara is that asshole teacher who hates her students. She lets some poor kid get beat up by the bully. Clara didn't even look up from her fucking book when he asked for help. Then she tells that poor ginger girl that she's got no imagination. Seriously, Pink was standing a few <laughs> feet away from a tiger with a class full of 12-year-olds with problems, and so the tiger's natural decision is, ah, oh, run away! And then everyone forgot about the wolves and the tiger and simply walked home. Leon exactly. is clawing the air in frustration. <laughs> There is also a weird message that kids shouldn't take their medication, which is actually kind of terrible. Let's just give kids the idea that their parents are ignoring them because they make them take medication. I didn't pick up on this at all. The doctor says, yeah. you're trying to medicate um, me. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah of course. Gift. Yeah, yeah, sorry, of course. Uh, like trying to shut up the voices instead of listening to them. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah okay, interesting. Also, how bad is that that she's 
put in that group entirely just because she's taking some medication. Yeah. I assume that most of the time her, when she's on the medication, her behavior is entirely normal, but she's put in that group anyway. Hmm. So if nobody had done anything, continues Jim the Fish, it still would have turned out okay. What a wonderful script. None of the characters added anything to the story. <laughs> and Jim the Fish rates this 0.3 out of 5 because it looked pretty. Generous. <laughs> <laughs> so if it hadn't looked pretty, flat out zero. <laughs> <laughs> that is a solid rating. <laughs> Jim has also added some bonus notes apropos of a conversation that we had after the um, Mummy on the Orient Express episode about Jamie Matheson. This is all according to Jamie Matheson himself at a Birmingham convention. Matheson's unused episode. I asked if he had written any more episodes for Capaldi. Apparently it was too dark and denied by the BBC and Moffat. The gist was, Leon. Oh, the Twelfth Doctor on a luxury spaceship for all the important business people and aristocrats of the era. And it turned out it was as tame as possible at hinting it was an orgy boat. <laughs> Twelve would realize this when a bunch of young children left the room of a businessman on the ship he thought was a good guy. Oh shit, that is dark. Wow, that is very yeah. dark. Twelve then proceeds to, quote, go dark and sabotages the ship evacuating the children. It was an episode on child abuse that is rampant in high British society, so no wonder it didn't see the light of day. Mm. And Jim the Fish continues, here is what I can tell you about Matheson's plan for series 11 to 13, had he become showrunner. Starts off, the next Doctor would have been Irish, and modelled after the famous rugged Irish sailor Tom Cream. He would wake up in Lofoten in Norway... And the first series would involve an arc surrounding an ancient Nordic ghost ship that was terrifying the skies of Scandinavia. That sounds awesome! Yeah. Mm. The second was going to involve a sub-race of Time Lords who were very much skinwalkers. They would regenerate by, shed by shredding their skin and morphing into satanic goats, horsemen, all sorts of nasty horror-filled stuff. The BBC told Jamie Matheson it was too dark and beyond the budget they could allocate. Wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That sounds incredible. Yeah. I mean, I mean does they, anyone they, know Tom Cream? Not a clue. Nor I. No idea. But, but this sounds we, really cool. Yeah, can we have these series without the Doctor being involved? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe 14th Doctor material? Oh, it's Tom, Tom Cream. Oh, okay. Oh, that's Irish seaman and an Antarctic explorer. Still doesn't ring a bell for me, though. No. That is some seriously fascinating stuff, Jim the Fish. Yeah. That's a Great. scoop. That's a serious yeah. scoop. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Hmm. I'm so torn over that not happening. I mean, part of me wants it to have happened, but the bigger part of me is like, the BBC were extremely responsible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apart from the whole, obviously there's child abuse going on in British high society and someone should shine a light on that, but maybe not through the medium of nominal entertainment. Mm -hmm. And on a family show. Yeah. Mm. I, mean, I think you, you can maybe do it, but you don't have to do it super... I mean, you don't have to make it super dark. You don't have to have him go all Rambo, Batman, whatever. Uh, and it doesn't have to generalise. It. I don't, I don't know. I mean... I mean, we are only seeing the very vaguest, briefest, sketchiest script outline. Script yeah, exactly. Outline. I mean, it depends but, what this orgy board is. If this orgy board is branded Parliament or BBC, then, then maybe it might be... <laughs> it could get problematic. But if it's like 
uh, it's an orgy boat, but then this one person aboard the boat is getting up to some horrible stuff, then maybe that's easier uh, to digest by the BBC. But it sounds like he wanted to shine a light on a systemic thing, rather, and so you'd be exonerating the rest of the aristocracy. Oh, I see. And scapegoating this one individual, and then you'd just be perpetuating the... I mean, this is around about the time that tons of people are suddenly being exposed as pedophiles. Yeah. It's like, it is in... It's being reported on in the media. They could have done it in Sherlock. I mean, they came very close, didn't they, with that Jimmy Savile alike played by Toby Jones. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember. The hospital, right? Yeah, but that is so much darker than I can ever imagine Doctor Who getting. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, maybe Doctor Who is just not the right forum for it. But the rest of it sounds super cool. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, extremely juicy. Oh, I want to see this Nordic ghost ship. Yeah, thank you so much. Jim the Fish is not on Twitter, but if you want to communicate with him, then, like, just stick your head in the ocean. Uh, right, so next up. <laughs> is, he, is he's a saltwater fish, then? That's, that's canon, is it? One assumes, one assumes. <laughs> <laughs> next up, we have Michael Ridgway. 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 Love you, Michael. Oh, my God, you're so big. <laughs> you're growing at 10 foot a day. <laughs> That could be a Who Back When t-shirt, by the way. <laughs> it's like a Godzilla parody. And we have Michael Ridgway just, like, booming through a city. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Michael starts with a like. <laughs> <laughs> it ended. He then goes on to feature some... Beefs. <laughs> Michael's first beef is, I'm all for Who. Sign me up for giant maggots and killer plants, giant spiders and plastic pollution gross-out body horror. <laughs> what has this got? Nothing. I wanted triffids. We were, we were even teased with a cannibal witch who didn't show. And don't taunt me with a bunch of uber-annoying kids and then fail to kill any of <laughs> <laughs> Was having a few kids mauled by a tiger really too much to ask? <laughs> Apparently so, Michael. <laughs> Apparently so. Uh, Michael Second. What a big thief. I'm sure we all laughed our socks off at the government's useless cobra response. <laughs> They'd never be that shockingly, shockingly shit in a real crisis, right? <laughs> Keep clapping, everyone. <laughs> Nothing to see here. This was cheap, continues Michael. I mean, seriously? There's cheap, and there's filming in your back garden with a few <laughs> stolen traffic cones. Th- verbatim. What, what was going through your head at every point? Michael's final beef is, what the heck was that ending? Was she living in that shrubbery all this time? Why isn't she half dead and covered in poo? This makes no sense. In summary. This is the forest of my life. <laughs> The forest of the night. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Had the misfortune to be viewed after Picard episode 10, which put me in the foulest mood since 52% of the country decided to gorge itself on a bag of rotten donkey testicles. (laughs) But this is surely among the worst episodes of Doctor Who ever made. At least a cotton triggered an emotional response, albeit hurling my own feces at the screen. (laughs) (laughs) There is nothing here. Simply nothing. (laughs) Emptiness. Wow. (laughs) I am starting to reconsider my (laughs) reign. 
And Michael gives this an incredibly accurate rating of 0.2 out of 5 for a decent-looking tiger. Although the cheetah people in the Seventh Doctor classic survival actually ate people. (laughs) It's an awesome mini. (laughs) Thank you very much for that, Michael. Uh, people who are not Michael, please do high-five Michael online. He can be found at bad... Underscore! Movie... Underscore... <laughs> Club. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. So big. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I say yes as if I'm affirming. I mean, surely. <laughs> One assumes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You can't what? write a mini... <laughs> That good at not be huge. <laughs> <laughs> so that neatly encapsulates our Forest of the Night soiree. What have we got coming up next? Well, in the classic channel, we've got the power of crawl. <laughs> <laughs> After which, we're back in New Who territory with dark water. Exciting stuff. Wonder what's going to happen. And Marie, at some point, I'm sure there's going to be an audio who reviewed. Would you happen to know what that's going to be? Well, I keep hearing tell of it, so hopefully any day now. Um, I think it's called An Earthly Child. That's Ooh. right. Ooh. It's a good one. <laughs> who knows about bonus episodes? Who knows? A little birdie told me we were overdue a blooper reel. Good point. Very good point. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Yes, that's happening. <laughs> But in the meantime, you can say hello to us online. Marie, I believe you are on the gram. Uh, yeah, I am. I am a grammar uh, sometimes. People <laughs> follow me now. It's very good. Oh, really? Brag. How can people do that? Uh, you just have to type in at Hamash and Jelly into the little search bar and then I should pop up. Ham, mash and jelly. Yeah. Nice. Fun. All in one <laughs> word. Uh, yeah. Drew, are you uh, on uh, some form of social media? Certainly am. You can swallow my Tweety Bolus at Drew back when. <laughs> Hot. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent branding as well. I am at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N. High five me. I will high five you right back. That is branding. Of a sort. I, st- <laughs> I, I started thinking about <laughs> a new one, by the way. <laughs> so it, it might happen. It'll happen. It'll happen. We'll see. Okay, okay cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to it. <laughs> this has been a treat. I've had a blast. Oh, man. Like the Tunguska blast. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. So I guess not much remains to be said, but thank you so much for listening. Please, if you're listening to this around about the time that we are recording it, then continue to stay indoors and stay safe and so on and so forth. Hope you're all well and uh, we'll get through this whole apocalypse business together. Until the next time, rock on and cha-chao! Bye-bye! Toodles! Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. 
Check us out on Instagram for behind-the-scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, ciao. Who back when? Doob a doob a doob a doob. Doob a doob. Doob a doob a doob a doob.